Hi, I'm Connie Wilkes. I'm Marlene Nelson. I'm Jerry Gropp. And I'm Sherry Spute. And our last names make up the acronym WINGS. We're just four ordinary moms with extraordinary bonds. The Lord gathers us all under His wings as a hen gathers her chicks, and we hope to offer a place to gather for our friends, family, and all who wish to join us. So welcome to our podcast conversation, Under His Wings. We are so excited and honored to have some dear friends with us on our show today. Um, We have Evan and Missy Hathaway with us. And when we were younger couples, <laughs> lots younger, we kind of just starting out uh, in the married game, we all hung out together and did things together, and it was so so much fun. We even babysat your kids. Remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I remember babysitting your kids. It feels kind of like it's been a lifetime since we hung out. You know, we've changed names. We're not just mom and dad. We're mimis and papas and grandmas and grandpas. Mm-hmm. Even our hair's co- colors changed a little bit. <laughs> yes. yeah, we yeah, just about bit. that. We've got some gray going on, uh-huh. but we still consider you both dear friends. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Here. We do as well. Well, Evan is a dentist in the Boise area here, and he and his beautiful wife that he lovingly calls Missy, and we just found out that that's what she goes by now. We used to call her Melissa, <laughs> and now she's Grandma Missy, so we're all going to go with that. And um, they have four beautiful children, and they're all married, and now have 13 grandbabies. We're jealous. They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we we want to share a really special story with you today, um, and some really great advice. And Evan's story is one of addiction, recovery, and redemption. And he's going to share with us some valuable insight and takeaways And what I want to point out before we begin all of this is most listening know that we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, you don't need to belong to our church to gain immense insight from this podcast and from the resources that that Evan and Missy are going to talk about today. Um, We're also going to hear some unique perspective from Missy and the challenges that, that she's faced going through this together with Evan. We want you all to know out there listening that we are all on this journey together to help each other, and we just want to invite all to come to Christ and be healed. Missy is a lover of traveling with Evan and being with her grandkids. She loves books and crafts and building Legos with her grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) And now she and Evan are serving together, and so they're going to tell us a little bit more about that as we get as we get into things. So fun fact, Evan's been on three other podcasts and I went and listened to all of them <laughs> before we started this. So it's now up to five. I, by the way. Say, I bet you're at more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I only listened to three, so I'm excited to go listen to the other two. So you might hear us refer to things that Evan has said, um, maybe in some of his other podcasts that are his own words and other places he's spoken. And, And it was beautiful to hear over and over again all the wisdom and discernment that, Evan, you've gained over these last few years. So will you just go back to before the time that you mention that an atomic bomb blew up in your life and give us a little glimpse into your life? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I will get into that. I'd like to share it from a little different perspective. If anybody's heard my other stories, I 
kind of try and direct it where the spirit guides or where people need to hear it from. But um, one of the things before I start is I think that this is just something that really needs to be talked about a lot to de-shame it, um, to get it out in the open and in the light. Um, the shame is the thing that kills, holds people, hides them, doesn't allow them out. So I have, um, and we have experienced so much light and healing through this process that um, we feel like it's incumbent upon us to share because there's so many people that are dying in secrecy. And because of that secrecy, we decide to speak and tell. There's a lot that have this struggle and few that are willing to talk about it. And I'm willing. I have no shame in it. And we're grateful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. There's so much divinity on the other side that we, as we were driving here, we were reflecting on that, just how blessed we have been in this place. I mean, tears shed, just driving here, talking about how grateful for we, that we are for this. So um, kind of speaking from that perspective, but to share, we kind of described it once I did on a podcast as an atomic bomb in our life, and that's pretty apt of what happened. Melissa's described it as a tsunami, whatever, it was bad and big and fast. <laughs> and um, But before that, um, I would kind of explain it a little differently in that, you know, everything looked good on the outside um, of our lives. Uh, maybe even impressive, you know, how everything was, was going and looking. Um, I liken it to a, kind of a house. We built a house and, and curbside, it looked quite nice, impressive. And um, the only problem was there was cracks in the foundation. And um, I wasn't willing to look at and even comprehend or understand the cracks that were there because I kind of liked the way my house looked. And I wasn't willing to tear it down to work on the foundation, for heaven's sake. And who wants to do that? Right. When, no one. When things no, look really it good. Would be, right. Yeah. It, and it, it's funny. I was, I had such a delusional thinking, such rationalization, such, I call it the cloak of invisibility, all those mind games that you do to hide these things. So that you're okay with it. Um, and I wasn't really willing to go there, but it, in effect, um, now that I look back with, um, more wise eyes that have been enlightened, I realized that I was damned. I mean, literally my progression had stopped and there wasn't going to be any more progression with the foundation that I had. And so, um, I wasn't really willing to tear the house down. So it had to be blown up. <laughs> and quite honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because when that happened, um, I was able to, and I will say, whenever I say I, there's a lot of we involved, but I personally had to, I think Melissa was probably willing to tear the house down and let's get down and work on the, um, the cracks in the foundation. It was me that was, wasn't really willing to do that. So I needed to have it blown up. And um, then we went down and started working on the foundation and found these cracks that I hadn't looked at. I just had a sense that they were there and working on. So in life, there was just issues, deep issues, well farther below and beyond the addiction. And I didn't know that. I didn't even know it was addiction. I, I, I just knew that there were some problems. But the beautiful thing is once those cracks in the foundation had been repaired and rebuilt, I thought it was going to be nice to build our house back the way that it was. And what I didn't realize is the divinity involved is that he had a different blueprint. It was way better than I ever expected or could imagine. 
And um, it's not completely built, but it's way better than what we had and much more glorious, much more divine, much more filled with love and light and happiness, connection, spirit. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. So as we look back at the atomic bomb, kind of glad that it happened. So Melissa, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, how did, how did you see life in your beautiful mansion? Did you <laughs> see cracks? I sure did. So I, I knew what addiction was. I am okay. an adult child of an alcoholic. And I was raised in chaos and dysfunction. Divorce. My dad ended up going to prison. Um, so, and my parents ended up separating. And so I saw chaos and I knew things. And seriously, like from seventh grade to 10th grade, I, by 10th grade, I'm thinking, am I an alcoholic? Oh, <laughs> so I, wow. yeah, that was how I, um, coped with a lot of things. Um, so when we were married, it was interesting. Evan was very together and buttoned up and, you know, everything was <laughs> right and confident and all this. And I'm this crazy lady coming in, <laughs> excitement, um, emotional, you know, let's do this, let's do this. Not really thinking about <laughs> future. And I realize that now seeing, you know, yeah. the, the things that you pick up in a chaotic family. Um, so I was like more, more spur of the moment. So when we started having children and um, our parenting styles were a little bit different, I was more, let's play and have fun and paint your door and let's do this. And my husband was like, no, we can't. <laughs> it's wood. We can't paint that. And, you know, I, I, I start telling him. Of course it's wood. That. It's stained wood. We can't go over that with paint. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Why? But but so our, our, our styles were different. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm loud and, and anyway, so but but I loved his I loved his confidence and his security and his stability. Um but you know, with the kids I would tell them stories and he's like, I don't think you should we shouldn't probably talk about this stuff right now and, and we just had different ideas about things. Can I add? Yes. You have this bold and beautiful, passionate person of Melissa that's just, you know, full of fun and Maybe it's not as much forethought, and then you have this, this <laughs> no per- forethought. <laughs> then you have this perfectionist, this analyzing, that's planning, that's driven. But um, I didn't realize what a toxic perfectionist was. But that was pretty much one of my deep imprints in my life that has been actually one of the things that led to. You know, we could talk more about the the addiction. But so there you go. You got this couple that's doing this crazy dance, and um, got a little. Crazy. So with so with in in my perspective, I um, you know, I want to talk. I want to talk about things. If something's happened, I just what's going on, and I, I I come at you and strong, and just tell me, and just say it. Whatever you're feeling, say it right now. And she I was, didn't know a thing about processing yeah. thoughts. I didn't know what that was. She was comfortable with fighting because in her family growing up, if you didn't bring it, yeah. you weren't going to get a word in edgewise. So you had to fight. You learned to. And fight. my family upbringing you didn't raise your voice you didn't say call anybody a bad name and anger was bad so i would retreat she would attack and it didn't go very well (laughs) and we had this dance and so and so then we'd get into this dance and be angry or hurt for a few days and then we're like okay just shove it under the rug because the next thing's going to happen and we need to take care of that and so you know it's a lot of naivety i guess I thought we were on the same page. We were going to church. We were doing all the stuff. I loved going to church because I hadn't really had that growing up. And um, 
I thought it was very important, but I really didn't understand the gospel. Well, deeply. can I add, what's interesting is we always look back with eyes that have grown up and sure. are much more mature and understand because we've been enlightened, but you just don't know what you don't know. We didn't we know any of that. No. We did not. And that's what you. That's why you get married when you're young and dumb. You just exactly you just do, and you, you and just we learn pick and grow each other, mm-hmm. right? And right. Yeah. You just. I keep telling my kids that's because some of my daughter just got engaged, and she's only known him for a few months. Mm-hmm. Well, they've known each other for a while, but only been dating for a few months, sure. and she's engaged. And then my other daughter's like, "Why would you get married so fast?" I'm like. <laughs> Why not? You know, because you just pick each other. You pick each other and you say, okay, I'm willing to go through this crazy world with you. With you, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. grow on the way. Yeah. And I did. I mean, I remember meeting him and I'm like, this guy's different than anyone I'd ever dated. And I'm like, I really like who he is, how he feels, how I felt inside. I never had a doubt. I, it just, I'm glad you felt that and hung on to that. I did. <laughs> that was one of the things. And our kids always loved us to tell our love story to them. So it was always fun to... And now it's grandkids. Yeah, now it's grandkids. Tell us your love story. Um, So I'm curious, when you looked at him, was he everything you were not? And probably vice versa. You looked at her and like, I need more fun in my life. I love the passion. Absolutely. I love the excitement. And I was, you know, more buttoned down and controlled and do the right thing. And and she was just so much fun and life. It was exactly what we were... mm -hmm. She liked my stability. (laughs) And I didn't realize at the time when you do that, you know, I was looking for someone I didn't know, you know, to help me. I I thought, oh, he'll help me get out of where I don't want to be. We'll work together. And, you know, I put him up on this steed and just come take me and we'll go live happily ever after. You know, you know all this stuff. You went on a mission. You've got all the answers. I'll just follow. (laughs) Anyway. um, and, And really, we really liked each other. Yeah. We really got along well when, and, and so it's interesting because I look back, I'm like, how did, there was just things that were unsettled at different times. I'm like, we're, sounds like marriage. It does. It does. <laughs> and you know then, what I think I could add to is, um, I think, um, success thinking that you, you know, we're always members of the church, always believed, always served went to church every Sunday, did the right things, but this sneaky little um, pride gets in you. Mm-hmm. And, sure. you know, I, yep. I was a hard worker, self-discipline, all these traits that I just would lean on, and you start to believe, if it is to be, it's up to me, you know, and, and you're rolling, and and you start, the, I think the pride was the thing that's like, okay, I gotta, you guys gotta, that's a big crack in the foundation. That's yeah. a big glaring one. It is. So I think that was, for me, one of the things that needed to be busted. That was the thing, actually, that mostly needed to be busted. So Well, and then I took on, I don't know if you, you the term codependence. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as a, a Christian mom, you show up, you take care of everyone, you take care of your neighbor, you take care of your husband, you do all these things. And, and it's very selfish if you take time for yourself. <laughs> right. You know, and yep. that is not true. Right. Um, and so when things would happen. I just took on everything. You know, he was going to school. Well, I better take care of this end. And he's making the money. Well, I better take care of this end. And and we kind of fell into the male, female Mm -hmm. thing that we don't see our kids doing now with their husbands. They're a little more involved and we're really happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we, we had that sort of set up and I talked to my girlfriends about this age and they're like, yeah, what were we thinking? So, um, 
it's interesting. I feel like we had these roles and we were carrying them out and overall doing okay. But then, you know, a trial would happen with our child and I'm the fighter. I'd fight with her and then my Evelyn would be in the middle and break us apart. And, you know, <laughs> it's just obviously I'm the fighter in the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. So what was the atomic bomb that So the atomic bomb was um, this um, surgery. And let me clarify, the atomic bomb that happened was just the beginning of the enlightenment, meaning that wasn't the big problem. It was the beginning of a lot of divinity and um, so grateful for that happening. Um, And it was an awakening. When you say it was an, an awakening, an enlightenment, I'm curious, did you, because it was bringing it out to everyone else, did you... Does that make sense when you say enlightenment? Was it enlightenment to everybody? Well, Not at what the moment. I mean, okay. Yeah, no, no. no it, it was very uh, vulnerable and open, which, which um, prompted a lot of humility. And, and, but what I mean is the enlightenment that it provided for each of us individually, that took a lot of time and a lot mm-hmm. of work and years. And it's line upon line, precept on precept. And it continues to give today that enlightenment that began then. But it also helped um, an enlightenment of not us, only us individually, but as a marriage, our relationship completely changed. So, so much growth that came out of this. But what what that, what that I mean by that, this event, this atomic bomb, it, it started out with um, me getting this addiction going. So I had the painkillers for the shoulder surgery, which turned to, you know, hurt your wrist playing basketball, roll your ankle, sprain your finger, you got bulging discs, and you could just justify, well, gosh, let's keep going, because I was a dentist, had them in my office, so it was easy. And then... Um, I didn't realize it, but I look back and realize, you know what? The anxiety that I lived with as a dentist that was a perfectionist, trying to be everything for everybody, staff, wow. patients, everybody. And and isn't the a dentist yes. like the highest... Highest suicide, suicide highest suicide. addiction rate of any profession. Yeah, yeah and, and I could go into a lot about that. But nevertheless, um, I wasn't managing and understanding my perfectionism well, nor did I have healthy coping mechanisms. We could talk about that at some point. So you start to default to whatever will make that anxiety go away. Well, I didn't really consciously realize it, but that's what that did. And then before long, you realize, I can't stop. And this guy that has all this tremendous willpower, goes to work out, goes, does this, gets up early, does these things, can't get it with willpower. And I was stuck and I was trapped. And that's when a DEA agent, board of pharmacy director, showed up at my dental office and said, we need to talk. And I remember just going, whoa. And essentially, they pointed out there's way too many narcotic drugs that had gone through my office. There was a problem. You're going to go to rehab in a day and a half for um, 90 days, three months. And uh, buy your ticket. Here's your choice of places that you can go to. Actually, more detail than you need, but they turned me over to this program that was run through the the Board of Dentistry, and they had a five-year program that you had to sign a document that says, you have my license, I have to do these things for five years. And at the front of the five was the 90 days. You had to attend a 12-step meeting once a day for six months. You had to then do um, uh, call in to see if you need to do a random drug test every day. 
you had to have a sponsor to do your steps after the the um, three or six months of, of one a day, then you defaulted down to three 12 step meetings a, a week for five years. You had a person that you'd check in with that would watch over you. You had to go to marriage counseling. You had to go to two hours of group therapy with other professionals who are battling addiction every week and all on your dime. So um, that lasted for five years. So Missy and I have talked about that. That was a beautiful thing for me in that. Um, sorry, I'm going to call a timeout. Missy's going to comment. In the meanwhile, on the other side of the coin. <laughs> It was all beautiful roses over here, right? Yes. <laughs> this is another thing that we have. <laughs> I'm like, honey, it kind of sucked a oh, lot of times. It was hard. It was way hard. <laughs> I mean, even before the atomic bomb, I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? So one of the things through our marriage was, you know, pornography came up and it was awful and it was devastating at different times in our life. And I would either catch him or, and it was very... And he and he's here, and he. Mm-hmm. You know. That's, I was going to get to that. Well, so so there's that, and so that was a, a a stab wound to my heart. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. What should I do? How do I handle this? Do I join in? Do I, you know, all these different things you you think you should do? And then the next thing was weightlifting and and you know bodybuilding competitions. And and when he says he's focused, he's extremely focused, and he can focus and lose sight of everything around him. He, he says, "I like it's looking through a knot hole." And all you see is that one thing that you're going after. And that is exactly his personality and how he was. And I'm over here floundering, you know, something's not right. Something's off. And so, you know, during the years, I'm like, we need to go talk to the bishop. Or I need to go talk to counseling. Well, I ended up going to counseling for almost 20 years because of postpartum depression and had that after each baby. And then, you know, I didn't realize all the things that happened in my upbringing that were coming out. And just just all these painful things and so i go in there and i'm talking about all my problems never talk about our marriage i never because he's like that is on me you know you don't have anything to do with this so i'll just take care of this and you you know so we kind of had this um disconnect anyway so um when this day happened this this atomic bomb he something was going on i could tell the last couple years was very frustrating we were fighting more i was you know what is going on even my kids were noticing different things happening and and i i couldn't put a finger on it. i knew something was wrong i felt it inside anything i would talk to him it was just deflected denial you know mm-hmm. cannot this this shield that he carried had to protect himself and it was just it was it was devastating to watch so when he came home that day and started talking to me telling me hey, I'm addicted to these painkillers and I think I have to go away for a few days and these people need to talk to us, so let's call. You know, at that point I was like, that is the answer? That is what's been going on? Okay. And all of a sudden this peace, like, now you know. Oh, wow. This is what's happening. And so I wasn't really mad at that time. I was like, okay, well, let's, what do we do? And this day, it was a busy day. It was like 32 hours of trying to figure out what we do to get him to the place he needed to go, sign papers, you know, all the things that he had to... It's very traumatic, very numbing. I mean, yeah, I'm talking about the after the fact. It was crushing. So at that point, he is... I'm thinking, thank God, someone 
yeah. is going to help because I'm like, I have been yelling for help. Right. I've been crying inside. We need to do something. Something's got to happen. Something's got to change. And so this was like, oh, awesome. And just how strong denial is, he just kept telling me, I'll just be back. I'll just go for a few days and then I'll be back. They just need to evaluate me. And I thought, you no. They the more a, I learned. They I, have a program where you go and for three days they do an evaluation. And if they find you not to be an addict, they're like, okay, you can go back. Oh, so wow. I'm going, okay, so like, that's I'll me. go do the three days. <laughs> that's I'll me. be back. And then at, you're there and you're going, oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm an addict. I think I got to stay the whole time. Well, you know, Melissa, as you were saying that, I... I sometimes something will happen with my kids, and I'm like, I, I'm sorry that bad thing happened, but I've been praying. So that that happened because I was praying about it, because that's what it sounds like. This you know, you've been praying, and then I think that's so beautiful, like that mm-hmm. you could just not not fall apart because mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what's happening in my life? Right. No, you've been praying for something to to help happen. me. Yes, yeah. help me figure help. it out. I was, and now and I had beautiful. feelings inside and I know it was the Holy Ghost and I would ask him and and this is another of the disconnect as I see he would just shut me down or gaslight or whatever and you know as I went through my own rehab, my mm-hmm. own recovery, I'm like right. I had to I had to work on those resentments. Right? Because it's painful. Yeah. It was painful to be shut down and and not I felt then I didn't trust myself. I'm like, am I not? Am I not hearing it right, or or whatever? So that was another um, hard thing to mm-hmm. have to go through. <laughs> well, and and as far as education, and I don't want to minimize because we don't have time to talk about it. We were both in really bad places. I mean, I remember being there, just being broken. I mean, I, as much shame as I've ever felt in my life. Everybody knew my staff. We had a meeting at nine o'clock at night. Or 10 o'clock and told them what was up and we had to cancel all of tomorrow's patients and told my kids my parents all my church leaders and and just left i mean it was it was ugly a lot of shame and i um self-loathe doesn't describe mm-hmm. where i was um and this is a perfectionist this is somebody that wants everybody to think the best because i that was one of my flawed core beliefs is that um, I need to prove my worth to everybody. I need to show a clean, shiny, nice, got it all together person. And this was the antithesis. This was, so my world had pretty much crashed and burned. But again, perfect. Exactly what I needed. That night he left and he got on the plane about eight o'clock. And I just, I said, just please be brutally honest. Just, just be brutally honest so you can get the help. And then I hope that you can learn to laugh again someday. <laughs> and so it happened to be that our, the kids all came, and um, three of them were married at the time. I had a senior in high school. And it was hard because he was there one day, and then he's not there the next day. And so we talked, and we were trying to figure out how to tell people and share with them without, you know, you, you don't just tell everything, but there's certain times and places and so we talked about how to let people know and what we would say, and and we ended up. Um, I ended up calling, you know, dear friends, my inner circle. Then I I reached out to other circles and then other circles, and and it was really amazing the love and kindness and prayers and help. You know, when I would when I would talk to someone, they'd say, "Please give me his number. Let let me have his address so I can write him. Let me have, you know." It was just. And it was this one-on-one that we would go to, we, they would come to me. And, and then other people would say, 
a girl would say to me, hey, um, I know what's going on with them, but you need to go ask Missy. She'll tell you, but you need to be the one to ask. I mean, it was really beautiful, this this love and this uplift that I was feeling. And, um, you know, we ended up talking to a couple of coaches and seminary teachers with Jenny, and I just said, I just want you to know, so if she breaks down or whatever, she might need extra love or help. And they were so kind and loving. It was it was really quite beautiful. Well, and our ward was, was really good. A lot of sweet, wonderful people. Yeah. I'll tell you, coming back after three months and going to church the first time was tough. It was tough. But it was also um, beautiful. I mean, it was scary. It was very vulnerable. Going back to work the first day was very tough. And I'd see a patient every hygiene exam that I, it was tough. What do you say? I remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to let the Spirit tell me. If this person knows me, I love them, I'm telling them everything, the whole deal, as quick as I could. And if I didn't feel that spirit of love and trust, I would just tell them I was really sick. and I had to go away to get better for a while, and I feel much better. But um, there's some divinity in that, people that you know, I connected even more with as I, as I did that. And I had a bishop that was this just a sweetheart of a man that I love who actually was my counselor when I was a young single adult bishop. He was my counselor and he was now my bishop. And, um, he was amazing. And in, in my, when I came back going through the process of the 12 steps and recovery repentance, at one point I was feeling like, gosh, if there's anybody that's having struggles, that's battling addiction, please let me know. I'd love to help. And about two weeks later he goes, Hey, would you mind doing our fifth Sunday and telling your story? <laughs> And I remember going. <laughs> and you've done that how long? Uh, three weeks a month. Oh wow, wow. that's. And huge. I said, I, I I had this flash of anxiety, fear, and then a millisecond later, the Holy Ghost is like, Evan, it's exactly what you need to do. It's your pride. You need to be honest and vulnerable, and you need to share. And I said, Yeah, I'll do it. And that was like one of my really good lessons about vulnerability and the beauty of being honest in that place. It's just put you in a different light and a place. Um, and that was like one little nibble of being vulnerable. And then as the years have gone by, you know, we've gotten to the point where like we're totally wide open to tell it just to be able to help other people. Tell it like it is. Yeah. Well, and can I say something about our bishop? So, of course, I went in within, within, a, few, within a few days after Evan had left, and I just... Like, I, I don't know what to do. And he said, I don't know what to do. He goes, I, this is new. He was pretty much pretty new bishop. And he's like, you know what? Let's help each other. We'll just help each other. You tell me what you need and you tell me. And I, it was the most beautiful thing because I think There's sometimes. vulnerability. Well, and I think sometimes they're like, well, I can fix this because I've got all the answers. You just pray and do. And if you, you realize the addict, there's a spouse always on the other side that is in pain, that is suffering, that needs help and compassion and love and to be heard. And I just don't think, because they're so worried about the addict and how they're going to, are they going to come back? Or are we losing them? Whatever. But, but, the, but the, you know, the spouse and the family is in a lot of pain and they need extra love and attention and, and time. I find it fascinating that that was the bishop you had who was vulnerable because you have a spouse who was the perfectionist. I will fix it. I will fix it. Here's the answer. 
and here's the bishop. Yep. Now I don't know what to do. Right. And to grow together, here is that. Can you see the oh, connection? It's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Yes, it was. It's such a God thing. Yeah, there were so many tender mercies. What you said is so powerful because that's one thing that we've come to learn is you know the the perfectionist guy that appears to have all the answers or wants to not show any vulnerability or cracks in the armor doesn't connect. The the perfectionist actually keeps everybody at arm's distance, which is kind of one of the things that I've learned that I did in life with my kids, with the people that I loved. I just never let them get close to me, which is just a shame. But um, the bishop that's real, that doesn't know, that maybe has been through some of his own stuff and he's vulnerable and shares that, really connects with the person across the desk. So that was kind of powerful. It's really powerful. Something to talk about that you kind of alluded to, I was going to get to, if it's okay, is what addiction means. And, and you know, we can only skim over it because this is a, we don't have time to cover right. it completely. And we, our, our podcast right before this, we talked a lot about that. Oh, so good. I'm, it, so cool. this will be great. Good. You give us your version. Yeah, well, so I clearly understood I was a, a um, narcotic addict. But before I went to rehab, I had had 10 years of sobriety with porn. 10 years. and looked any. But what I came to understand, and it's been a really a neat lesson for me, is there's a difference between abstinence and deliverance. Um, I had been in abstinence, so I didn't do that thing out of willpower. Now, I'm praying the whole time that, that I would have help and receive help, and I probably did, but there wasn't a core change in me. Um, that's what I know and see now is that I had battled on and off my whole life a pornography thing, and I'd have periods of sobriety, long periods, a whole mission, you know, periods that we did, and then I would, but I would always go back. And... That was frustrating to me, you know, where's your willpower? You know, pray for help. Um, but I mean, it, it's, it, back to my, my other addiction, I, I was praying when I realized I got a problem with this, um, the drugs and narcotic, I was praying, my prayers were this, Heavenly Father, please bless me with more willpower <laughs> so that I can overcome this, you hear all the me, mm-hmm. I, so that I can, I'm dictating the terms of my recovery, that I can overcome this problem and then sweep it under the rug, put the rug down, and nobody needs to <laughs> nobody. know. Let's maintain my ego and pride, right? And he's like smiling at me like, Evan, you actually have really a lot of willpower. You don't need more of that, but you need humility. So let's just, I got a better plan. Let's have this thing go off. Let's expose this and, you know, let's get some humility. And then, then... Let's start repairing those cracks. And, and so I guess what I mean to say is in my recovery, and it took time, I could look back and go, oh, my goodness. I never really overcame that porn thing properly. I just was using my own self-discipline and willpower. I was hanging on. I was white-knuckling, as they say. But there had been no real core change. And then, you know, applying the 12 steps to that, it became a different animal. Because when you're in white-knuckle recovery, abstinence, willpower, it's exhausting, it's hard, it's painful, frustrating. And it's usually um, fraught with slips and relapses. 
But when you have had a core change and he changes It changes who you are um, deep inside. And, you know, you feel his love. You depend upon him. You get your strength from him. It's different. Then uh, he battles for you, and it's your connection with him that, that carries you. Sorry. No. That's, that's what um, makes all the difference. Um, and I, I began to see that. And apply that principle in my life and let go of, you know, my pride and his, his power in place of that. And then recovery is um, enabling, empowering, bold and beautiful. I frankly don't look at my addictions with any fear. I don't stare at them and wonder, what if? Because my eyes are going a different direction. I'm looking at the place of beauty and serenity and connection. Anyway, I, I, I wanted to just kind of express, so I have realized, oh my gosh, I was, a, I was a porn addict. Matter of fact, I think I was addicted to sports. I was addicted I know you were. to weightlifting, bodybuilding. <laughs> anything, well, what is a coping mechanism that's faulty? Well, anything that gives me pleasure that can alter my mood, and it could be a chemical, it could be a behavior, right? that releases things in your brain, porn, that's a powerful behavioral change, especially if that porn is mixed with some type of masturbation and you have that euphoric feeling. Wow, those are powerful chemicals in your system. And, and um, most time it is. Um, but my point is, whether it's a behavior or a chemical that you put in your body, it will change your, be your, your alter your mood, which then takes away that thing that's uncomfortable that you don't want to deal with. And, and for me, I've got a list of things that were, you know, those core imprint things that were, that needed to repair. And one of the big ones, probably primary one was this perfectionism. And, and you know, I, I believe that my value, that's what a perfectionist does. My, my value, my validation comes from the things that I do, that I need to prove my validation. And then it comes from externally from other people, both of which are dangerous. So um, in that place, I had to seek some healing in that so that I could let go. Well, being vulnerable and honest and humble, you know, about talking about my problems, it's very helpful for somebody that's a, that's a perfectionist. But anyway, so I'm talking too much. No, I, you know, what I was thinking about when you were, when you were talking about just white knuckling, right? You're doing it all on your own because mm -hmm. you've, you're, it's your willpower, it's your, it's everything's about you. And I was just, um, as we're studying right now about the last supper where, you know, we're, we're all studying the same thing and come mm -hmm. follow me. And, and we're talking about the, those last days of the savior and that, um, that Passover dinner where the savior is, has, gotten water and he's washed begins to wash his his disciples feet and they're like no <laughs> that's not your job that's that's demeaning mm -hmm. but the whole thing is that i you know the savior was trying to tell us over and over again and telling you like you can go do really great things you can do, go work miracles you can you can white knuckle, you can do all, all of these wonderful things, but you can't clean yourself. 
Only I can do that. And mm-hmm. and that's just what made me think of that and the Savior. You know, there's there's just there's just that thing we can't do by ourselves. And every single one of us, you know, we all have coping mechanisms, you know, everybody does, whether mm-hmm. it and it may not lead to an addiction, but but the whole point is that it you know, we can never get better, we can never get farther, we can never progress without the Savior. Right. Steps one, two, and three of the 12 steps. Oh, we get to talk about what those mean. Yes. One is, talk about those. I can't. Two is, you can. Christ, Father, you can. And three is, and this is a big one too, I think I'll let you. Oh. Surrender. Wow. wow. And then there's this beautiful ongoing steps of cleaning yourself up and connecting with God. You know, he wants our hearts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, we get hung up on other things that are checkboxes and behaviors that, that we're trying to signify to him all these things, but really he wants our hearts. And I think that the 12 steps are really a beautiful way of him cleaning up those toxins that are inside of our own hearts that are blocking us from him. And um, they lead to a you know, a beautiful healing, a beautiful connection, and then ultimately kind of sanctification, which is really quite spectacular. And, you know, you, I see nods. You guys have felt a little bit of that good fruit. You know, he dispenses some pretty good stuff to us in our willingness. And, and it's like, gosh, I want more of that. I'm in, right? <laughs> Raise my hand. Right. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like that, that connection with your Savior came over time because you already said you were praying and asking for strength for years, for 10 years. You're yeah. able to yeah. right? not um, partake in the pornography mm-hmm. addiction. And so there would be some that would think, I am, I have surrendered. I am relying. I know I need him. I, that's why I'm praying to him. Mm-hmm. But there's a real difference, isn't yeah. there, between just that prayer and asking for more of your own strength yeah. versus relying on him. So... Do you feel like that connection came over time as you worked through those steps with an honest and open, vulnerable heart? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that for me, the key that unlocked this whole process was um, humility. I like to think of Christ talking about, you know, the way that we worship and the way that they worship they took a lamb, they slaughtered a lamb, they put it on the altar, and that signified, you know, Christ. And um, when we fulfilled his law, um, and he says, we're going to do this differently now, there's no more lambs. He says, what I want you to put on the altar for me is um, your broken heart and your contrite spirit. I can picture myself, you know, holding, clutching to my own heart, not letting it break, I'm thinking it was too valuable. And um, the way that it looked was too important, you know, the house. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to um, kneel down, bow, and set my heart on the altar, broken. So for me, it was just such a key thing of humility. I don't think I saw it. I knew it when it came to me. Um, I remember, too, and a separate thing is is that's tied to that, I think, is I I remember being such shame. You know, I was being humbled. I was being humbled by this process. But I remember feeling such shame 
thinking, what have I done to my family, um, to me, to everybody that loves me? What have I done? Have I thrown it all away? Because, I mean, I was literally thinking, I was hanging over the abyss. I felt like God had me by the scruff of my neck and the, the, the material's ripping and I'm falling into the abyss. Am I going to lose my marriage, my wife, my kids? Am I going to lose Your my practice. job, my practice, my everything. license? Am I going to lose everything? Am I going to go to prison? Because mm-hmm. there was a thing that prison was pending with, that's another story, but it was scary. And I remember just um, having an experience, just praying like, where are you? You guys watch The Chosen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Do you remember Peter on the boat? And he's, he's ticked off. He's frustrated. I know that you're Christ, but why won't you heal me? When I watched that episode, it just broke me because I felt there's Peter, the guy that's denied him three times. I've denied him three clicks of a mouse. Three twists of a bottle, whatever. I've denied him multiple times, but I know he's Christ. I, I know it. But why won't you heal me? And then he drops under the water, and he's losing everything. And a hand comes down and pulls him up. And then Peter's like completely humbled, and he knows that the Savior loves him, and he just keeps saying, "Don't ever let me go. Don't ever let me go." I just think that's such a powerful thing for Peter. And I think for me is I got to a place where I had to know that he loved me in my brokenness, in my shame. And then out of that place, then it was like, okay, I got you. It's okay. Trust in me. I got you. Are you willing to let me hold you? You're you're not in charge anymore. Get your hands off the wheel. I think that's why I like that third step that you just said, and I'm willing to let you. I mean, huge. 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 Well, you know, to, to shift the, the focus back to Missy, when I um, got home and we're healing and we're recovering and we're about two, three years after this atomic bomb and we're growing and learning so much and it's not perfect, but it's like two steps forward, one step back, but we're just, so many good things are happening and we're learning and we're getting closer. She had a kind of a second tsunami hit her of physical, mental and emotional things that happened that we had we had to go through step one, two, and three on this. Um, yeah. Are you okay with going into that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I um, when you uh, live a life <laughs> and you stuff all your feelings down for years and years and years, and you know, even though I had my anger and my rage at times, um, I stuffed a lot of feeling and pain and hurt down because one of the things you know I was raised with is we're fine. Everything's fine. I remember my dad getting ready to leave to go to the airport to, you know, get to prison. And I'm, your dad was a lot like me. I'm a lot like your <laughs> dad. Lot like I dad. didn't realize that. And perfectionist, he, uh, flash and show, yeah. and don't tell anybody the bad stuff. Who was and wonderful and loving, very gregarious. Anyway, he just, I'm like, what's happening? Where are you going? Oh no, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm like, I think you're going away somewhere. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is going to be fine. And so um, about, yeah, a couple years into recovery, um, my body just, I had to have an ankle replacement. I had to have a knee replacement. So prosthetic ankle. Prosthetic ankle, yeah. Prosthetic knee. Yeah. Just so you remember them all. Yeah. 
Let me get my list. Say so prosthetic ankle, prosthetic. Each one of these is surgery, and each one's right. wounded, hurt, leading up to it where you, you're you're dying. Yeah. Um, our daughter, our youngest, ends up going on a mission for 18 months, and in that 18 months, my dad dies. My um, my sister-in-law dies of stomach cancer. My sister dies by suicide. By alcohol. Yeah. And um, you have a grade three heart, heart block. block and have to have a pacemaker placed in emergency surgery. This is a pacemaker right here. Pacemaker. Immediately. I mean, it was, uh -huh. that was something I couldn't, I'm like, what? She's diagnosed with a brain tumor. So yeah, the doctor, and then so, the same doctor that found my, my, um, my third degree heart block. Mm -hmm. he, I said, I went to him after I got it and I'm like, I always thought it would be my brain. And he's <laughs> like, what's wrong with your brain? And so he said, he took a scan. And I had a tumor, oh my gosh. an acoustic neuroma tumor. And he's like, I, I don't know. He, so she's had, a, I had to have this, she out. had to have a brain surgery where she had the tumor taken out and she lost her hearing in one side. Show your cool little thing. So she has a hearing aid over here that transmits. It's called a Baja. It hears on this side. This is deaf. And so, yeah. actually, why do you have that on your ear? <laughs> it fits this way. It fits. Okay. You have to hold it on. <laughs> anyway, so it, it, it commits sounds from one side and transmits to the other side that works. But she has no balance nerve, no hearing nerve. And she was going to lose the facial nerve on that side, possibly. That's one of the things. With the pacemaker, there was nothing I could do. I had to go in. But with the heart, I, I, I said, I can't have another surgery when my daughter's on, on her mission. Because I need her to be home, just in case this doesn't work. Because death was one vertigo being on a walker being in a wheelchair there was no there was not really one good outcome from this tumor removal and um so i wanted to wait till she got home so that was eight months of waiting and knowing it was growing and then thinking i can't get out of this i i have to go under the knife and so to just i absolutely found the best doctors and then i just had to say whatever happens if i lose my facial one. nerve if i can't walk I'm in your hand, whatever. What I'm okay with that? it. Yeah. One, two, One, and, two three. and three. <laughs> One, two, and three. Well, we remember you, you, with your pacemaker in the hospital, mm -hmm. we had this miraculous event that actually got her to the doctor that was a miracle, whole other story, but got her to the doctor and he diagnosed this, sends her to the hospital in an ambulance. I'm driving ahead of the ambulance going, oh my gosh, is this how this goes? Is this the end? I mean, they have paddles on her. She's on a gurney. They're going to shock they her They say, you will, you will pass out. Yeah, your heart's so going to stop. She was, she was at 37 beats per minute on her heart yeah. and stayed the night. And that night, you know, we're waiting with the paddles on her for this surgery yeah. and looking at each other going, all right. This might be it. We might need to. This could be the end. <laughs> wow. And then we had to go one, two, three, as in, yeah. I can't manage this. You're in charge, you see, and you know. Yeah. And we're going to trust that it's going to be the way that you have it. And so we're just going to let this go. Yep. Don't know what this looks like, but, you know, we've done this before. We know how it rolls, and we're with you. And, you know, for the brain tumor, similar. Yeah, same thing. Just but it was a powerful um, lesson reinforced and learned again. Over and over. And in, in that place, no matter what you're going through in life, if you can do those things and then have that trust, you can let go. And, and just the fact that you guys have done this together. I mean, in a world where marriage is disposable. Oh, yeah. Can I say something about that? Yeah. So when I went to Al-Anon, that was when Evan left. I had a friend come Explain to me. Explain what Al-Anon is. It's a, it's a group that helps the spouses of the addict. Um, 
it helps you learn techniques and skills, and it's a 12-step. And um, Lois Wilson started it when her husband, Bill, was meeting with all his addicts in the front room, and she's like, well, we need something for us, you know? And anyway, it is it is a beautiful um, program, and I had a girlfriend take me there, and at first I was just angry and frustrated. Why do I have to be here? I didn't didn't do anything this you know and and really by six weeks I thought I have to be here I can't this is where I need to be there is something I I need to heal and some of the things that I learned was you know don't do anything rash what will happen if you make these decisions when you're in the emotion and the pain you make really bad decisions and so one of their things was don't do anything for three years you get healing you get better whether or not the addict gets better you need to be here and get better and get strength so that and the day comes if you have to decide to stay or go you'll you'll be in a healthy place and um i saw that when if you're so angry and your ego kicks in i mean it would have been easy just to go get out never come back i this is so painful what you've done to us and blame you blame you but I'd seen that happen to my parents, and it was so painful to watch. There was nine of us, and it was so painful to watch them go through their heartache and their pain and, and all the things that, I don't know what their imprints were bringing into their marriage, but it was it was devastating, and, and they never got help. So one of the things was, I don't want to go down that same path. I wanted a different life, so I'm going to stick with this. And I watched so many families fall apart. You, they would come in and they would say and tell their stories and it's so painful. Some are so hopeful and some of that and others just have so much pain that, you know, they're struggling. Um, a lot of people can live with an addict who is not in recovery and still find very happy, be very happy because they've got the tools. They have God and they know who he is and they know who their power comes from and it's beautiful. But the thing that I see now as I look back these, you know, 10 years later, 14 years later is what if I said, I'm done? Yeah. What, where would I be now? Where would my grandkids be? What, what burdens would I have left them? What generational things would have gone on for the generation? So one of the things I learned is that you can be a small S savior on Mount Zion and say enough of the dysfunction and crazy traditions that we've brought into this family. We need to talk about this pain and this heartache and let's talk as a family. Let's, let's do this. So, I wanted to stay. I wanted to see, and you know, I would. It's kind of a little risk, like in dating. Okay, are you doing that? Okay, then I'll do that. <laughs> and seeing how far, and I was like, will he continue this? You know, after the five years that he's required to do, right. or will it be something he just checked the boxes on? You know. Um, so, and each year we just got better and closer, and I was discovering things about myself. We were discovering things about each other, and we were not this enmeshed couple. We were this two individual people who had found God individually, strength, strengthened each other, and then, um, and yet decided to stay together and make it work. And I just feel like I would have missed out on so much. I would have missed out on this, on this amazing man, his amazing journey, this amazing grandpa, and he would have missed out on me and my growth and our experience. And it just, it, I, I try and remember that sometimes. I think, what, what if, mm -hmm. you know, That's and I'm, beautiful. I'm so grateful that, 
and so that w- that would be my message is don't give up. If you are two are two good people willing to work and do the work and it's work. It takes a long and it and it's it'll be a lifetime of work. We we're not stopping this because we have fuzz. Right. <laughs> and, and there's a lot more work to be done, right? A lot of work to be done, but it's worth it. Can I add to that? Yeah. So you said they said hang on for 3 years. Yeah. And it's about 3 years when all the stuff happened where you start falling apart. <laughs> Yeah, and then on, at the end of the three years where kind of things eased up a little bit for you, then I had a, um, I had a uh, neck, surgery. neck surgery. Then he, his arm I, was paralyzed. Identity theft. Oh, my right oh, arm was going. Yeah. yeah, identity theft. We had a fire at the office. The IRS was auditing. Not fire. Or excuse me, a flood. Flood. A bad, oh. bad, bad, bad flood. <laughs> Shut us down. It was bad. Yeah. Anyway, just, but the, I guess the reason why I bring those traumas up is we were at a place because Heavenly Father has timing is amazing. He put us in a place where we were like okay and ready and willing and our perspective on hard things was so different. Like we believed in Ether twelve twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Like it gives you weakness and hard things. Right. So that you'll be humble. Of course he mentions hum- humility three times in that scripture. I know that. Right? And then if we're humble, then through his grace and our faith in him, then he'll make weak things strong. And he's done that. And um, you know what? I'm okay with a little more curriculum like that because the learning has been pretty spectacular. So anyway. Well, and it teaches us that just because you find God and you you are tethered to him and you believe in him and he is your savior does not mean life's going to be rosy. No. Does not mean okay. You're now you're out of the woods. You've you've found Christ. Absolutely. You know. Nope. Nope. You you've just found a way right to make it through. You ha- now have a day. resource to turn to. Yeah. When you're in that place. As Carlford Broderick's the oh. uses of adversity he says he does a great job. Yeah. We you know the 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 gospel is not going to solve the pain. It's going to be a resource for your pain. Mm-hmm. And then Missy and I were talking about that the other day, and we believe that it's actually more than just a resource for the pain because in that place of pain he's going to teach you things and educate you in ways that you had no idea about or couldn't know yeah so you turn to the gospel and you take these things that are pain and have a resource and then you can convert that thing into this tremendous education so it looks like bad and bleak and horrible he's there for yeah he's got yeah there's rest there's salvation in him and there's these tremendous lessons it can be learned in no other way, right? Right. You know, Evan, you said, I heard you say in a podcast, um, when you you now are a mentor, or what, what do you sponsor. call it? A sponsor. A sponsor. But mentor, sponsor, very, the words are very similar. Yeah, yeah. And you, you said something that I will never forget. You said, I will, this speaking to your sponsee, right? I will run behind you through a brick wall, but I won't run through the brick wall for you. Yeah. And I think those are really powerful words. So for our listeners and anybody who doesn't know what you, you're talking about when you say the 12 steps, what resources are there that if somebody is hurting right now, mm-hmm. what do they do? The, the 12 steps, we like to call them the tactical application of the atonement. It's kind of a... Um, I've heard people say, oh, it's the atonement for dummies. I hate that. I hate it's that. not true. <laughs> it's not. Because it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a doctorate program 
in the doctrine of Christ. It's powerful and it's so beautiful and it fits for everyone. All you have to do is take some struggle that you're battling in your life and make that the thing and then apply those principles and that recipe is eternal and it works. Um, but yeah, so that's essentially what it is. And, and your question was related to how do we connect with those? Yeah. How do we find them? How does somebody find what those 12 steps are? How, how can somebody go to somewhere and get help? If, if you go... To members of the church, um, well, and well, do you have to be a member of? You, you of don't. Our let, let me tell you. Let me clarify something. So you remember my five-year program I signed up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot of divinity because I had um, to spend five years doing these certain things, and it wasn't go to ARP meetings in the church. It was go to AA meetings mm-hmm. outside of the church. So I went to over a thousand meetings. Did you have a little card that had to be signed? I had to initially until <laughs> that was done. And then it was, um, I had to fill out reports and, 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 and turn them in. But I went to, think about a thousand meetings. There's 365 days in a year. <laughs> That's a lot of right? meetings. Think of how many meetings I went. Anyway, they were really amazing. There was a lot of learning and there was cool stuff. And at first you have to go to them. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it changes to, I need to go to them. And then it changes to, I want to go to them. And I did that all outside of the church. So there was a little bit of spiritual arrogance that I possessed as a member of the church my whole life and serving and calling some mission um, that we had everything, all the answers, and and not giving enough divinity for those outside the church that, that I was humbled. And there's tremendous divinity outside the church. So I, I, I got a lot of recovery and healing in that place. And at year five, when I was done, checked the box, got the certificate. I didn't need to do that anymore. That's when I had to go, what are you going to do inside? Mrs. probably holding her breath waiting. Yeah. But I already knew. I already knew. I, I knew that I needed to. I'd had these really strong feelings that I needed to um, come in, embrace the church's uh, programs, be, participate. They need what we call old-timers. This is mean guys that have been around, mm-hmm. that have done it, that have had success, can, that can talk about what it feels like, looks like. And then be a sponsor for other people. And actually, I'm calling out right now. We need more people that have good recovery. If you know somebody, they need to show up to these meetings to be sponsors for people that are coming out of this shame and darkness that need some help. They need somebody to lean on, a mentor, a a sponsor. Um, And so I'm just calling out. So anyway, in that place, there's so much divinity for me of being and playing that role and seeing that. I mean, my, my learning has actually, if it's, if it's linear, it's gone logarithmic and gone higher in the place of service of right. being there. And it doesn't that have to do with the 12th step? Absolutely. Service. Absolutely. 12 step 12. Absolutely. You know, it, yeah. Yes. It, step 10. It, I mean, well, I, I don't like, I tutor you guys on the steps, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just bite my tongue. They're just beautiful. Mm-hmm. They are. They are. But I was going to say, so if, if somebody outside the church wants to get help, get to an AA meeting. Get or to an, an a- NA meeting. Or an NA meeting yeah. or an SA meeting. Yeah. There's a boatload you can look online. of great yeah. meetings Type that you it in, can go it'll to. It'll pull up. And we'll put those in our show notes okay. at mm-hmm. allunderhiswings.com. Okay. And if you're a member of the church, there's this really cool app called um, Your library Gospel app. Library. Which you don't have to be a member of the church to have, mm-hmm. right? You can download right. it. It's called yeah. Gospel it. Library mm-hmm. in your app store. But if you if you go to that and then scroll down, I'm just going to say it to I'm you. Done. So, 
Or you can, you can go, yes, just to churchofjesuschrist.org, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. org. go to Life Help, mm-hmm. and go to Addictions. Yep, and the go, first Life thing that will pop up is a map of all the meetings, the right. locations yep. Yep. of where you live. And if you live too far out to hit a meeting in person, a lot of the meetings they will do online. They have online. They have callers in. Mm-hmm. And, and let me add this to, because I, I have a sense that there's a lot of moms dads out there listening that might have a deal like how do i deal with my kids i have kids with 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 some things where do i get resources from me as a parent if you go to that life help section and you scroll to the very bottom you will find um, pornography about the fourth line down touch that and then when that screen pops up there's one that says help for parents touch that and there's this tremendous list of really good things. There's questions. How can I help protect my child from being exposed to pornography? And let me just tell you, too. Your child has been exposed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Our grandkids. Yeah. And, and you, it's not a matter of if anymore. Yeah, it's, it's when and, and how. And then, then what should I teach my child to do when he or she sees pornography? And you touch that, and there's a whole bunch of resources. There's really cool videos Great and videos. instructional. It's It's awesome. Um, how do I help my child repent and work through setbacks? I mean, there's just this tremendous, uh, uh, um, powerful resources that are available if, if you just go to them. The other thing that you're doing is the self-reliance courses. They're, we're doing it in our stake for our youth. But oh, it's life skills. You're talking about the, emotion, it is the emotional, emotional That resilience. is a fantastic. It is there's, so awesome. There's two two um, chapters of that on addiction recovery. It is so it's really good. But all the emotional help things very powerful but that's available to kids mm-hmm. so you can just kind of cherry pick the stuff you want to go through but there's a lot of really good resources if somebody as a parent wanted to um, go in there i also have meetings for the spouse of a betrayed one who it's called outreach for for the spouse who is going through a really hard time and it's a group of women that get together and study each week and they go through this beautiful book and it's 12 steps and it is so inspired so there's that one but there's also the arp recovery that i go to every tuesday and it's you know it's a morning meeting and so there throughout the area there are these options to go to and and i would say yes find those yeah and and for those listening arp stands for addiction recovery program and they do have help for everyone, they for do. family members, parents, the they addict do. themselves. Right. If if you have an eating problem, you can right. go to ARP meetings. Mm-hmm. If you have a gambling problem, you can go there. If you have a problem, you you go. You're gaming too much. You can go there. Is it at the same meetings? You just go there, and there's they diff- split off the, into there, it. Or? There's a meeting that's for general addiction that fits for everybody, but there's specific pornography addiction ones called passage meetings. I lead one of those in Eagle at the Eagle Seminary building at 8.30 at night on Thursdays. Um, that's a passage meeting, so it's specifically for that. Um, but there's all kinds. One of the things that I wanted to, to just mention, too, for anybody that's they got a family member or a spouse or somebody that's struggling, and you sense it, you know it, and you'd love them to go to these meetings, you can't shame them there. You can't coerce them there. You can't manipulate them there. You can love and invite but one of the hard things to do in your place uh, that way is, you know, you just got to work on de-shaming it by having these conversations and don't make it like it's the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes, and I, this is me, I, I, I aired as a parent, I was so concerned about what people did, how they rolled, if they were obedient, if they followed the track, if they checked those boxes. And I didn't, I wasn't as concerned, and I should have been, their heart. Mm-hmm. What are they choosing to do? Not that they, I made them do it or manipulated or guilted or shamed them. Mm-hmm. Same thing's true of an addict. If any type of coercion that gets them to that thing, oh. And honestly, we'll take anybody that shows up and hopefully their heart changes while they're there. But one of the things that I think is really powerful is if we can talk about it more in our congregations and de-shame it and make it, hey, this is a thing. And people have recovery, like me, like Missy, and we're okay. Matter of fact, we're better than okay because on the other side of it, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I would encourage you to talk to your your bishop, your elders corn president your relief study president even your stake president and say let's have a combined sunday priest of relief society and have somebody like evan or missy or somebody come and just talk about this let's de-shame it let's talk about this is just one of the parts of mortality that's a battle it's messy but it's divine and in that place that we're all scared to talk about we're going to find christ and it's amazing so I'm just going to encourage you. I'm just going to plant that seed. If you'd like to um, create that situation where we could talk about it more in your very place of worship, man, let's do it, right? And sometimes that one that you're concerned about, sometimes you just need to offer to go with them, right? They just can't take that first step. And some meetings are closed and are only the addicts are the only ones allowed in. But you can even offer to drive them and sit in the parking lot if yep. necessary. But there's other meetings that are open that yep. allow the, the parent or the spouse right. to attend. And, and just a rule for like a passage meeting, you have to be 18 to go. But I'll tell you, the church is working on creating more situations for youth, and it's coming. Uh, we don't have it yet, but we need stuff like that. Um, and the scariest door there is is the door to the bishop's office and the door to an addiction recovery meeting, scary. So if somebody feels enough light and hope to get to the bishop's office, my hope is that that bishop would hold their hand, arm around, and take them to a recovery meeting and go with them. So I'm also saying, bishops, come to a recovery meeting, please. So, Also, um, you know, you can give our number out we will take phone calls if if anyone has questions email how to find yeah are you okay with us putting that in our show notes absolutely because there's a lot of people that are are very scared to reach out the first time Mm -hmm. um evan got a beautiful letter from georgia and it was it's it's very tender you know what this is totally anonymous i should read this to you talk amongst yourself (laughs) i I also just want to make sure everybody knows you do, again, I know I've said it, but you do not have to be a member of our church to no. go to these meetings. You don't. Anybody can come. Anybody is welcome. Yes. Our, our, yep. our common denominator is Christ. Yes. Yep. Everybody's exactly. welcome. Everybody's and, welcome. And the 12 steps are so very similar, but in our church we recognize the higher power to be our Savior Jesus uh, absolutely. Christ. And we're not afraid to it's to the say same it. message, absolutely. it's just more specific about mm-hmm. who and what. Right. Having gone into the rooms of AA, I saw so much um, pain.
pain and resentment by folks that have been wounded by religion when it was forced down their neck, whether it was Mormon, Catholic, whatever. And they were so wounded that they didn't want to hear anything about God, and they would just shut down. And so the beautiful thing about um, the 12 Steps is it starts out very vanilla, very um, benign. Mm -hmm. it, it references a higher power initially because people will swallow that and go, okay, yeah, somebody that's greater than you or something you know, whatever. The group is the higher power. As you work in the program and read the books, I mean, one of the chapters in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, is called To the Agnostic, as you get further on. Mm -hmm. And it starts to talk about divinity and 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 God, and it clearly... So the farther you get into recovery, the more it goes from vanilla to this is it. Mm -hmm. And it's really powerful because if we did it harsh and upfront initially, they'd leave. Right, yeah. So it's really a beautiful um, transition. Can I read you a little letter? Yes, this please. letter came to me after I somebody listened to the podcast, Kurt Franken, one that you guys listened to. And it was heartbreaking, uh, at the same time inspiring. But this... This man is not unlike so many. This is an active member of the church serving in his word. And he says, Hi, I don't know how to start. Have you ever lived in a cold, dark, and quiet place? A place where you feel trapped with no way out? A place that is very isolated? A place where you haven't heard another voice in a very long time? A place where you feel sad and alone? A place where you feel lost and afraid? One day you hear a voice talking in the distance. It's not speaking directly to you, nor does it sound familiar, but you can tell it's a good voice, a kind and gentle voice, a voice that won't get mad at you for things you've done, a voice that says, come, I can help you. You want help, but you don't know how to ask. What do you say when you see the person behind the voice? It's been such a long time in isolation that you don't know what to say. You understand that if you reach out, you will have to get cleaned up. And it's been a long time since you showered. And you'll have to step out of the sun, into the sunshine where everyone can see. So the only thing that comes to your mind is that you need to reach your hand out into the unknown and say, help. Mr. Hathaway, I don't know what to do. I've caused so much heartache in the lives of others. When I look into my past, all I see is pain and destruction. No peace. There are no happy days. I only see misery and torment I've caused. Please help me. Thank you for listening. Take care. Signed, XXXX. That's not unlike so many people that are just dying and just they don't know what to do. So I think that all of us can be um, instruments in God's hands and say, there is help. There is hope. And you know what? I know you're hurting you feel like the worst thing ever, you are not alone. And there is recovery and there's divinity and it's beautiful and it's amazing to guys like that. Yeah, so I, I read that just to say, this is a man active and he's not young and there's so much there for him. So reach out. Yeah. Reach, reach out. out. Yeah. People we, are hurting and they need us. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you can be the one to reach out, do it today and if you need help reach out absolutely today. yeah so there's love and there's healing and there's christ absolutely i'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to um share with people i know there's a lot of um heartache and pain and um isolation and and you feel alone 
And it's interesting when you start talking, you'll realize I am absolutely not alone. Yeah. And and you find these companionship and friendships and 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 it's on a deeper level. It's so much um and it's a quicker friendship. Yeah. It, it's quite amazing. So I'm I'm just grateful, as hard as it was, <laughs> that we went through it and that we were stuck together. Yeah. And that's what I hope that's what I I really hope for couples. Marriage is sacred and it's valuable and it's worth it. That would be my message for today. Thank you. I would just say, you know, uh, you're scared to death. Whether you're the person that has an addict in your family and you're just scared to death for them. And if you're the addict, you're scared to death. I would just tell you that on the other side, just have hope. It's beautiful. Yes, so much, so much good, so much light, so much truth. The fruit's really delicious. You know, we talk about faulty coping mechanisms, um, you know, where we want to run and hide and seclude in the dark and be alone and not let anybody know because of our shame. And that's so destructive. We know connection's the cure. You know, you, you've got to step in the light. You've got to come out of your hiding and find somebody. Just reach your hand out. Be brave. Talk to somebody. Connection really is the cure. And there are, when you get healing, there's good, healthy coping mechanisms. I like to call them four steps. Be still. That means get quiet. Get thoughtful. Ask God for help in that place where there's some spirituality. Then feel. Because we push away our feelings. And those are the things that kind of we don't cope with. And then deal with the feeling and that dealing involves talking to god talking to a person that loves you you know your friends your wife your spouse process mm -hmm. and then that thing that's so messed up inside of your head that lie that's misconstrued we can take the the lies out start to get truth and if there's some work that needs to be done we could see you know we we, we cut problems in half when we talk about them and, and then you can see that there's something that was a lie, cast it out. If there's something that needs to be addressed, we can see we could do that. So with, there's the be still, feel, deal, and then we heal. And we do that. So there's healthy ways that we can learn that will be taught. But anyway, I just want to give people hope. You've given us hope today. It's been beautiful. Thanks, everybody. And so until next time, we hope that you all stay safely under his wings.